Good morning, Peter, and thanks for joining us. Now, on Friday, we did see a slide in tech, mega caps and mixed economic data leaving stocks weak and struggling for direction. So what can you tell us about this week? Where do you think markets are heading? Yeah, good morning and thank you very much for having me back on. I think if we uh, zoom out a little bit and have a look at where the US market has been, particularly over the past couple of months, it's been quite strong. Uh, We've had very strong um, equities markets. Um, We've got economic data that continues to surprise on the upside. And corporate earnings, which are very important, they're generally coming out at or slightly above expectations, particularly the big companies that have held up the market. And so overall, we're we're, uh, sitting at very healthy levels so far this year. Um, And I think what the market is doing now is consolidating, basically looking at the economy to see where does this go? Uh, We've seen some economic data in recent months that suggests things are slowing down. It's not a soft landing yet, uh, but there is a bit of a momentum building that things are slowing down. And I think that's where the market will take direction from. And this week, we are seeing some interesting U.S. economic corporates reporting. So a lot of those related to the consumer sector, like Target, for example. What do you think it's going to tell us about middle America? I think it generally shows that there's a reason why stocks are expensive or valuations have notched up higher. So uh, a lot of fundamental analysts fall into a trap at looking at a company's pricing and saying that it's expensive. Uh, But the way that kind of the smart money looks at it is to say, well, there's probably going to be upside to earnings here. And that's what's been happening. Uh, Earnings are actually surprising on the upside. And the reason for that is that the underlying economy in the US is strong. Unemployment for me is the golden metric. If people have jobs, that will mean that corporate earnings will remain strong. It all starts to unravel once we start seeing jobs being lost but we're not at that point yet. And so the big end of town has moved. The middle end of town and the small end of town won't move to the same extent. They've got different pressures. But generally, what we're seeing is that earnings are not surprising to the downside. And I think that'll be the case as long as jobs remain strong. Now, Peter, Brent crude has risen 30% since the start of last month. So besides an immediate impact on browser prices, how would you assess the inflationary risk from the surge in oil price levels? Yeah, this is a really good question and a really interesting one for me because medium to long term, I'm actually quite bearish on oil. I think the energy transition that's going on is going to have a significant impact on the way that we consume fossil fuels. That's not going to happen today, but it will happen. And at some point, the market will start to look forward five, 10 years. Um, If you have a look at BHP, for example, a big Australian conglomerate, Last year, or I think it was the year before, they made a strategic decision to move out of energy, to divest their energy assets. And for me, that sends a signal of what's to come in the next 10 or 20 years. So we've seen oil prices come back uh, from their peak last year. And what we're seeing at the moment is a bit of a bounce off low levels. Um, 70, 80, 90 dollar crude oil, I think is somewhat of a bottoming out, uh, somewhat of a consolidation. But I wouldn't be surprised if oil does gap down to the downside over the next few years. I don't know when it will happen, um, but I do think that, you know, we are going through a significant energy shift and that's not good news for oil. But in the short term, there's going to be a lot of sentiment drivers. The U.S. economy is still strong. China hasn't really bounced yet, but when it does, there's going to be increased oil demand. 
So um, it's a little bit of a tough one for me. I like to stand aside and just watch the price action. Can we take a look at other commodities, uh, particularly in copper um, and iron? Uh, we do see that both of these commodity prices have taken a dive, but Goldman Sachs seems to be more bullish on the recovery for copper. Do you agree with this forecast? And what's your outlook for these two metals? Yeah, absolutely. So this goes to my previous point. Again, if you have a look at BHP, um, they have consolidated around copper, iron ore, um, thermal coal, around the things that they believe are going to be important in the energy transition. And copper is not only an important uh, metal for industrial production, but also if you think about uh, how the world goes through and changes the way our electricity grids are planned out and um, you know everything else that comes with that, copper is a very, very rare and becoming rarer type of commodity and it's becoming a lot more expensive to mine. Um, BHP went out uh, recently and acquired a big Australian copper miner called Oz Minerals and so they're doubling down in that space. So I tend to agree with Goldman's view. Um, I'm very bullish on uh, copper and even iron ore. If you have a look again, China, India, the pace of industrialization, not just in those two economies, but all around the world, that's going to be very positive for iron ore, of which Australia is a major beneficiary. So I think those two commodities are in a sweet spot. Okay, Peter, you brought up China. Over the weekend, there was a whole spate of news coming out of that. They've released a plan to further attract in foreign investment and improve the business environment. But at the same time, the woes with regards to the housing market seem to continue. Country garden bonds are failing. What do you make of this? How bad can the Chinese economy get? For me, it seems like it's a liquidity issue. Uh, it's a financial issue. And there's been a lot of pent-up debt. There's been a, lot, a bit of a binge over the past decade or so. And I think what we're seeing is a natural consolidation. And that's very contrary to the business cycle that we're used to in Australia or in the West. But I think it's no different to any other business cycle that needs to moderate out because, you know, if you let those things run away too strong or too long, they end up blowing up. And that's a big risk uh, for China. So, Timing is very difficult, um, but I do think that it's somewhat of an engineered slowdown mm. and it's a slowdown that was required. And I think what it will do is it will produce better businesses, better planning, better outcomes off the back of that. The Chinese economy isn't exactly collapsing, but it's not growing to the rate that you know the G other G7 nations are growing at. And I think that is purely intentional and that is due to liquidity. Okay, so does this explain why the Chinese government until now has not really implemented any large-scale significant stimulus measures and also haven't cut monetary rates very significantly? Because you're saying that they want this slowdown, they want it to work through the system? Yeah, I believe so. Look, that's my view. I'm sitting from a vantage point in Sydney, Australia. I'm definitely not on the ground and I don't profess to be an expert on China, but you know, when I sit and have try to have a balanced view, I think you can't have policy in terms of broadening out wealth um, and you can't have these strategic measures that they have 5, 10, 20-year plans without a little bit of pain in sectors of the economy that have had big excesses. So, you know, if you have a look at property, property market, the property market needs to be sustainable and every cycle has a downturn. And it's important that during the downturn, a lot of the excesses are flushed out. So to me, it doesn't make any sense for them to go out and announce big stimuluses because that'll just spiral and, and you know, go contrary to the hard work, the strategic work that they're trying to do. 
that's my vantage point. And I think if you have a look at what markets are pricing, um, they're not necessarily pricing anything different to that. They're pricing a, a somewhat of a managed slowdown. And it's just going to have to be a matter of time until that filters through. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Peter Eschel. He is the economist and chairman at Wealthy. Uh, they are a financial services platform saying that China is actually engineering this slowdown. They need it to work through the system, so don't expect any large-scale measures. But overnight, the data coming out of the property sector is particularly worrying. And actually, on Tuesday, there'll be other significant pieces of information that will give us an gauge in terms of how badly or how well the Chinese economy is doing. Uh, there will be retail numbers, industrial production numbers. Of course, we will be paying attention to it. You know, on the flip side, Peter seems to be very optimistic on the US economy, where he says it's strong and the key indicator is looking at is in terms of the jobs market. I think also previously we had data where the wage growth in the US was, was doing quite well as well. So this begs the question whether the US Fed, Federal Reserve would do another rate hike to curb inflation. Well, they're not meeting in August. They're all on holiday in Jackson Hole. How nice. September is the date that we'll have to pay attention to. Indeed, indeed. Maybe we can quickly look at some of the headlines uh, that came across our table this morning. Looking at uh, Huawei from China. Uh, Huawei's core information and communication technology infrastructure and consumer businesses drove modest revenue growth in the first half of the year. Revenue came in at 310.9 billion yuan, and this was up 3.1% a year ago. Net profit came in at 466 million yuan. This is a threefold improvement on a year earlier. Net profit margin was also up 15%. Are things looking up for Huawei? Now, the company's ICT infrastructure business, which includes 5G base stations and enterprise systems, made up the lion's share of revenues at 167 billion yuan, while its consumer business, which includes smartphones and other devices, contributed 103 billion yuan. Now, the he headset's on the road to a comeback with its domestic mobile market share growing 76.1% in the second quarter. Yeah, but because of all these tech restrictions um, on exports of US-made technology, basically Huawei, it did ha used to have a sizable handset market globally, but that's really caused it to plummet back home. But uh, I think they expect Huawei to return to making 5G smartphones by the end of the year by procuring, procuring excuse me, chips domestically in spite of the US restrictions. So it looks like it's not the case that there's no demand. They just don't have the chips to make these phones. Uh, Huawei, unfortunately, well, it's not listed, so there's no share price to look at. Uh, but up next, we will be looking at the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.